This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. It was a relatively mixed bag. It was uh, mostly Gentiles who came from idol worship, who uh, came from these massive lives of sin where everybody was just doing as they pleased. But they were hungry. They were hungry for the scripture. They were hungry for God's word, for God's love. And though they had all these many struggles at the get-go, they have continued to grow. When Kat and I first stopped at the Amarillo Church of Christ uh, on our way back from our honeymoon, we heard a lesson at that church on this church of, of Thessalonica. And, and I couldn't help but think of our own congregation and how it has grown and how it has changed. While we were there, I also heard something that I didn't really know that I needed to hear. And it's the idea that there is no there. As a growing Christian, it gets so easy to get caught up in how good other Christians are. This was especially true for me when I first started going to church here because, man, I'm just surrounded by all these great speakers, these great song leaders. Man, I wanted to, I wanted to lead worship like a Fleming. You know, I wanted to be able to speak like Ben Soto. I wanted to be able to recall scripture like Pat Manon. It's, that's the goal. That's the dream, right? But if that's all that we're thinking about, we're kind of missing the point. Because Pat's not there. Ben's not there. The Flemings are not there. Nobody's there. The point is, the life of a Christian is one of continuous growth, of continuous improvement. Let me see. <clears throat> now, don't get me wrong. All these, all these things are good things to aspire for, and these are great people to look to. But we're supposed to be constantly growing, constantly striving for improvement, constantly learning. There is no there. As we dig into the Word and look at this congregation of Thessalonica, I want to focus on this idea of constant improvement, both as a congregation and as individuals. And we're going to start by looking at 1 Thessalonians 1. Go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, we're going to be spending a lot of our time in, once we get to chapter 3, but we're going to be covering these first three chapters of Thessalonians. Starting in verse 1. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from the word of the Lord 
has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. I want, to notice, I want you to notice how moved these people are by the word of God. How in love and in reverence they are with God, that even though they have had problems, they've had little speed bumps that briefly mentions they're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit so much that they can't stop sharing it. The whole area around them is learning about Christ, is learning about the gospel truth because of this one little small church. So much so that Paul, Paul, doesn't have to do anything to spread the gospel around them. What a compliment. Going into verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Starting into chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Again, he mentions this persecution. These Jews were in this area were going after them. I mean, you've seen what, what Saul did before he became Paul the amount of pressure he was putting on these new Christians, this church is having to deal with that kind of pressure. And they're thriving in it. And this also kind of shows how really Paul and Silas and Timothy at the beginning weren't there that long. They were kicked out pretty quickly. But nonetheless, this church continued to grow. Even seeing that, this church continued to grow. And you can also kind of understand and read here Paul's excitement. You can really read his joy here that they, this church is doing so well in the faith. They had to run off, but the Gentiles didn't cave into the pressure. It would have been so easy. It would have been so easy for them to go back to living their old lifestyle, seeking after the things of the world, seeking after the things that, that they were used to. But they didn't. They decided to stick with it, and they followed the truth. Verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mothers cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You 
are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted, to, encouraged, and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans. Notice how much he loved and he cared for this people. Not only that, but he acknowledges their growth. He takes the time to see where they have been, what they've done, what they've accomplished. And you see how in the beginning, they're very nurturing. They're very like a mother, as it explains. They, they held on to them and they nurtured them and they cared for them in the word and in the gospel. And they went from being these hungry children of this newly found gospel to imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus how much they've, they've grown. It's important as Christians that we take the time to look at where we've been. Because that's a huge part of this consistent growth that we're after, is seeing where we were, seeing how we've grown. From just being nurtured to being encouraged, comforted, and charged with keeping the Word of God like this church has been. Not only that, you kind of see the importance of having those older Christians there with you. It wasn't just because they didn't have a Bible readily available that Paul, Silas, and Timothy needed to be there. That wasn't the only thing. Of course, it helps us today, but they needed somebody to lead them, somebody to show them what it meant to walk this Christian life and how to walk it. Let me go ahead and skip down to verse uh, 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our home or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as he is coming? Uh, yeah, of His coming. For you are our glory and joy. This church. This church is their glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Throughout this, you can see the way he loves this church. You can see this brotherly love, and it sets the perfect example for us as well of how we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And notice that he, he's focusing primarily on their spiritual well-being. Of course, he's worried about the afflictions and the struggles that they're going through, their physical issues, but his primary focus here 
is on their physical, or on their physical, on their spiritual well-being as Christians. Looking into four, for in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulations, just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. This is true in all Paul's letters. His primary focus is on their spiritual well-being, and it was especially so with this church of Thessalonica, again, because they weren't with them long at the beginning. He eventually sent Timothy back to teach them and to, to help nourish them. But you can understand his, his worry about their spiritual well-being. Because, think about this, they, they, didn't, they didn't have a knowledge of Christ before Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They, nowadays, you know, most of the people here, if they didn't grow up Church of Christ, they grew up some other form of Christianity, some like Catholicism, Baptist, whatever it may be. They have some kind of background, but these people didn't. They had nothing to go on. And you can, you can understand his worry there. In Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul is talking to this other church, and he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. It gets so easy to get caught up in the things of this world. It's so easy. We, we get focused on our, our jobs, our, our families, and on, on finances, and all these different issues that we deal with. He says, don't get caught up in that. He wants you to focus on, on your spiritual well-being. And, and that's one of those things of the, uh, the dangers of some of the false doctrines that we see a lot nowadays. The danger of things like the prosperity gospel taught by a lot of these bigger churches, uh, Joel Olstein, that kind of thing, where they're teaching, if, if you follow God, you're going to have comforts of the world. You're going to have wealth. You're going to have a car, a nice house, all these different things. God never promises that. What He promises is that in the church you will find comfort. In the church, your faith will be encouraged. You will find comfort and encouragement in Him, in Christ. And we can find strength and comfort in the faith of others. Moving into 1 Thessalonians, back to 1 Thessalonians 3, moving into verse 6. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress... We were comforted concerning you by your faith. Does the faith of others give you strength? Does the faith of those around you, does it encourage you? Looking around at our brothers and sisters in Christ, does their faith make you want to strive to be better, to do more as a Christian and to grow? Because that's what being a part of the family of Christ is about. 
It's about giving each other that encouragement and that comfort to grow in Christ, to learn from His Word, to, to work on your prayer life, to grow in fellowship. Now, something that I find absolutely interesting here is going back into verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith. This good news that we see here is the same word in Greek that is most often translated as gospel. And there's a few different arguments on this one, obviously. There's always going to be. Uh, But some will tell you that it's not the same good news, that it's just a good news, it's not the good news. And some will tell you it does mean gospel. Personally, I think it's somewhere in between. Their faith, through all that they've been through and the actions they took to share the gospel of Christ, was good news, and their actions showed the good news. The steps that they took the way that they showed the power of the gospel of Christ in their lives. Not just by word, but in deed. That is the kind of life that we should seek after in Christ as individuals. When you seek after a life that people will look at us and see the gospel of Christ in the way that we're moving, in the way that we're acting. In John 13, John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. People should know that we are disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another, by the way we share the gospel, and by the way we we love other people. And we need to constantly be looking for ways to improve. Back into 1 Thessalonians again, uh, chapter 3, going into verse 8. For now we live. If you stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. We need to make a conscious effort to grow. We need to be looking for the things that we're lacking in our own lives, in our own Christian walks. Uh, If you scoot a little bit further into 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says to pray without ceasing. We need to make a conscious effort to pray without ceasing, night and day. He says to study God's Word in 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of, of truth. Digging deep, studying it, learning more and more every day, listening to His Word. We need to work on our fellowship. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to the same congregation. He says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. You need to make a plan. Don't just say you're going to do something. Make a plan. Make a conscious effort 
to do it. If, all you, if the only time you crack open your Bible is at church on Sunday morning, if the only time you fellowship is on Sunday morning, if the only time you really sit down to pray is on Sunday morning or during meals, there's a problem. You need to be making a conscious effort to work on these things in your life. You need to strive for these things. And all of these things are going to help one another. If you work on all of these, if you're struggling with prayer, work on prayer, but work on study and fellowship too, because those are going to help your prayer life. And it goes vice versa with all of them. If you're working on studying and you're working on praying, work on your fellowship because you're going to help one another. You're going to be able to, to teach new things to one another. And as a congregation, we can grow. You don't need to be doing this on your own. Everybody's here to help with that. And that brings me to my next point. We need to be working together to grow as a congregation, as a body. If you go to Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It's going to be 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, by what every person here does according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need working and striving as a congregation to improve and to grow. If you want to be a part of a church that's active, you need to be active in the church. If you want to be a part of a church that's growing, you need to be finding ways to help that church grow. To help the body to be a part of it. Not only that, we need to be abounding in love as a congregation. In 1 Thessalonians 3, going into verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that me, he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let's take a second to note the church that he's talking to. This church is already abounding in love. It's spreading far and wide so much that Paul himself already said he doesn't even have to go there anymore. He doesn't have to be in that area to share the gospel. They're doing such a good job. He planted the seed, and the seed is growing, and the seed is now planting other seeds, but they're not there yet either. They still need to abound more and more in love. He's saying to never stop growing in love. 
Never stop sharing this love of Christ with one another and to all those around you. You are not done growing. You are never done growing. That's the walk of a Christian. If you are struggling with growth, that is what the love of the church is here for. If you feel like you have reached a point where you don't know how to continue forward, or like your your study life and prayer life have fallen short, you've hit this plateau, you need to feel free to reach out and ask for that help. If you see this congregation and you want to be a part of this growth and walk the life of a Christian constantly growing, constantly improving, you can come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. This life, the life of a Christian, is one of continuous growth, continuous improvement, and God has given us so many tools to do just that. That's what the church is here for. That's what these brothers and sisters in Christ are here for. Don't let yourself be in the way of your own growth. We often get this idea in our head that, you know, when the invitation comes, unless it's a major issue, you don't need to come forward. Don't come forward. You're going you're gonna to be a distraction. You're going to be, that's not what God intended. And that's not what anybody, when they set this up, intended. It's a time to come forward. No matter how small No matter how big the issue is, there's no issue too small. There's no issue too big to come forward to the congregation and seek help. And it doesn't have to be during the invitation. You can be do it after service, whatever it need be. But however you need to work on your growth, whatever you have to do, you should talk to somebody about it. Even it doesn't matter how, how far along you are. Find somebody to help you. Find somebody to help you grow, because we're supposed to do this together. Don't let yourself be in the way of yourself. Feel free to come for as we stand and sing. song has been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.